0: Sales Tuners, episode 49, Dan Fantasia, president at Treeline. What you want to really
1: understand is how do you overcome burnout? How do you, when you do burnout, and listen, I burn out. Uh, I'm the CEO of the company. I burn out, right? People burn out. It's going to happen.
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody's hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time, I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from C. G. Jung, who said, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dan Fantasia, president of Treeline, an executive search firm focused on recruiting and placing top sales talent across the country. The name Treeline actually came from Dan's love of skiing, a love that also led him to becoming a ski bum in Jackson Hole, Wyoming after graduating college. The adventures didn't stop there. Dan has traveled the United States living out of a van as well as a year backpacking overseas. We're going to have some fun with this one. Before we dive in, you know I've got to spread some love for another five-star iTunes reviewer. This week, I'm sending a shout-out to Juan Ramon Garcia, who said, I got introduced to Jim Brown when I was watching the SDR Chronicles and was blown away with his expertise. I knew I had to learn from him, so I highly recommend this podcast. Yo! I'm glad I could help and really appreciate you taking the time to write a review. Shoot me the sales book of your choice and I'll get it out to you this week. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 49. But now let's get to the conversation where Dan fills me in on the 16 years he spent focused on the recruitment and career advancement of sales professionals.
1: So we started in 2001 and from our inception we have had an exclusive focus on that, building best-in-class, high output sales organizations across the United States. We are a trusted advisor to both client and candidate. We'd spend a lot of time helping them find the right match. We had 4% turnover, only 4% turnover uh, over the past two years. So of the hundreds of sales individuals that we've helped our clients hire, very rarely do they fall out. And they don't fall out because we spend a lot of time making sure that both parties understand each other. We do not oversell. The last thing I want to do is disrupt someone's career, pull them out of a company, and find out that six months later they're not happy in the company they're, that they're at.
0: So Dan, I've, I've hired plenty of salespeople in my career and it always seems to me that companies, you know, they think they can do this on their own. me about the sales process, how does someone find you or how do you reach out to somebody? How do you, uh, how do you sell to people today? We
1: understand and listen to, you know, what the company does uh, we learn more about the organization and then we try to find out uh, what they're trying to do. You know, what are their needs? What are they looking for? Are they looking for a chief revenue officer or are they looking for a sales manager or a VP? Are they looking to build out a inside sales model or a BDR model? Do they have a, a channel role? What we're trying to find out is what is their need? And then typically uh, we consult with them. We offer free advice. Um, And share with them what we've learned and what we know and what we see that's going on in the market and by doing so That really it's really a consultative approach Um, It builds a lot of credibility Uh, And once we've built that credibility and they have an understanding that we know what we're doing and we can satisfy that need then we start then we introduce our company then we start talking about what the organization
0: does There's a lot there that I want to unpack as we go through the show today, but uh, you haven't always been the the successful person that you are today. So take me way back then. How did you actually get into sales? I fell into it. Most people that I've met through my career
1: um, have has fallen into sales. Now that's starting to change. Um, Now there are some universities that are offering sales degrees and sales programs, which you know we're connected with a lot of them, which is really healthy to see. But it is unusual, or in many cases, unless you have a parent that was in sales or someone had influenced you at some point early in your life, you wouldn't know about it. As a matter of fact, many times when I'm talking to an individual, they have a negative connotation around sales, and the only thing they think of is you know, you know know jamming something down someone's throat that they don't need and they don't want, and then overcharging them for it. Um, so I think most people fall into it. I know that's what I did, uh, and what happened with me is I was just a uh you know a a guy back from you know being a ski bum Uh, i found my my first opportunity and very quickly because of my work ethic and my drive i moved up the ladder i became a general manager i ran the the company basically and, and my job was to drive more revenue so my purpose was to manage the finances and the operation but mostly to get out in front of customers and acquire new business and so I uh that's I uh, that's where I got into sales. I can't say that I learned much about sales at that time, uh but I had uh enough grit to get out there and bang on doors and and do whatever it took. To, you know, to get things done.
0: Now, I can't let you gloss over this too much. I've done my research on you, Dan. You, I, so I'm looking back at diversified communications. And you stated that I started in July. And by the end of my first six months, I was the lowest producing rep. <laughs> we got to talk about that because you were just yeah. talking about all this glory stuff. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about those first six months in sales. Yeah.
1: All right. So when I was the general manager prior to Diversified Communications, like I said, I I had no formalized sales training and I was just I had grit and I was banging on doors. Uh, I left that organization and I joined Diversified Communications. And that's where I found. Yeah, that's where I found my um, my first mentor. His name was Tony Nutella. He was a consummate sales pro. He actually taught me how to sell. Now, in my first six months, I was horrible. I really was. I was naive. Uh, I was easily influenced. Um, you know, I just, I, I didn't, uh, I just didn't get it. I was so busy uh, listening to others. And I really wasn't empowering myself to take leadership um, you know, through the sales process. And as a result, I, I was, I was, I just was bad at it. And i forget that day when Tony said to me, you know, basically, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> and he really whacked me. And at that point I said, that's it. I've got to get tougher. What do I need to do to be successful? And, um, I, you know, I just, I failed constantly and I took chances until I finally figured out, um, my, you know, how to do it, how to do it properly. And then I became a top producer and our managing partner.
0: So what does that mean that you were easily influenced? What what were you being influenced by? Who were you being influenced by? What was going on?
1: I would say I was naive. So in our business, um, for example, I might go to a client company and uh, introduce our services and, uh, you know, they could sell me on how great the organization was and I and I would buy it hook, line and sinker. And And don't get me wrong, I want to know, why companies are great for certain, but I don't want to be oversold. But that's what I would do. I'd be oversold hook, line and sinker. And then they, they, they would tell me what they were looking for. And I would be sold once again, hook, line and sinker. And in many cases, what they might be looking for and the success of the organization could be off. And so while I'm trying to find a specific Person for that organization, because I was so naive i was i would I was constantly set up for failure because I wasn't pushing back, I wasn't consulting I wasn't adding any value i was they were just telling me this is what I want, whether realistic or not, maybe they wanted a direct competitor, but maybe everyone from that competition made more money, and I can't move them. no one from that company would go to this particular organization I wouldn't push back, I wouldn't give advice I would just listen. I would be influenced and then I would be set up for failure because I'd be trying to, to to find
0: them individuals that they just could not acquire. But some people may say that that might be the best way to sell is just listen to what your your prospect wants to buy and let them buy it. So do you, you kind of disagree with that notion?
1: I do. Um, not every company is the perfect customer right? There are good customers and bad customers and bad customers are not customers. You you can't build a business and sustain an organization on companies that you cannot satisfy a need for. And so you're better off to be honest and realistic and understand if a client or a prospect that becomes a client is unrealistic in their needs and you can't satisfy those needs, there's nothing you're going to do to be successful with that client. Right. And so bad clients are bad clients. You've got to get rid of them. Good clients, realistic. They want to, they want to build a partnership. They want to work with you. They understand, they learn as they go. You can consult and help them build and hire and grow a sales organization. Those are great clients. Clients that are asking for things that you can't provide. um, They just, they're going to set you up for failure. You, 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 you know, you just can't find success with bad clients.
0: Dan, I've got you know SDRs, BDRs, AEs, and even VP of Sales listening to this show, and I, I agree with what you're saying. But I I can hear them right now saying, "Yeah, that's great, but you know we got quoted to hit. We've got this many phone calls we got to make, this many demos to set." What What do you say to those people who are scratching and clawing, and they have that grid that you talked about, just trying to hit their numbers that have been put out there, and and being able to potentially tell a prospect no?
1: That's back to the empowerment. You know, you can't sell based on fear right if you sell based on fear your then you 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 your lack of leadership will will create bad customers if you are honest and upfront and empower yourself to educate your client because you know the market on what your product does and what it does better than the others then you can lead them toward a, a, a real solution i mean what's the use of closing a company that can't get a that what's the use of a company that is unrealistic in their in their wants, and there is no solution necessarily for them, but you take them on to close that deal, you let them take full leadership. You know, you let them basically the, the tail is wagging the dog at this point, and so you continue to fail. So now all of a sudden you have a customer that's unhappy. You're building bad, you know, brand recognition, you're building um frustration between you, you and the company and the long-term goal doesn't work, you're better off to slow that, that company down and genuinely sit with them and have a conversation to consult with them about what is realistic in their wants and, and and selfish needs and
0: what is not. Similar to you, I work with, with companies every day and their and their sales teams. And I'm hearing right now, uh, sales reps out there saying, yeah, that's great, but again, I had a number to hit and I closed them. I sold them. It's up to the client success and operations to deliver on what I sold. What what when you hear that, Dan, what does that how does that make you feel? What does that make you think?
1: I think there needs to be more communication between customer success and sales. Um our Um, you know, uh, is the goal of the company, I guess that's what the goal what is the goal of the company? What is the mission? Is the mission to sign as many clients as possible? And then it's the responsibility of customer success and development to figure out the solution to make that and satisfy that client. Right. Is, is that the goal or is the goal just to slam revenue through the door and then kind of, you know, Just slam it through the door and then, you know, go from there because you you don't build a lot of goodwill. And so although you may see early revenue growth, at some point you're going to see a decline because uh, at some point you're not going to be able to satisfy those clients needs and they'll leave you. They'll move to a, a competitor who, by the way, the competitor maybe waiting for those failures and now maybe they start to gobble up those sales and now they, they maybe they become a, a stronger player in the market
0: hitting on one of the biggest things that I'm really starting to see. And it is this need for client success, marketing and sales all to work together as one team. We can't just close something and throw it over the, the wall now to another team and kind of like let them go. Just as marketing can't just throw leads over the wall to sales and say, hey, you need to go close it. I did my job. There really has got to be this cohesion between all three of those departments as we, as we continue to go forward. Dan, you've now hired hundreds, if not thousands, or not hired, but you've you've placed them uh, inside of organizations. What are some of the the biggest characteristics that you see? Maybe some of the non obvious ones that you look for in the candidates that you're trying to get placed at your uh, your companies. Uh,
1: that's a that is a uh, that's a tough question. Uh, the reason why it's a tough question is because the. the there are the, the personality characteristics of each sales representative um, may or may not fit the selling characteristics of the sales environment and and so what I mean by that is uh, when you're looking at a sales environment, if you have a consultative sales environment with a nine month sales cycle with an average deal size of you know five hundred thousand to a million dollars um and you're talking to a transactional sales representative that is accustomed to a ten thousand to twenty thousand dollar sale size, uh, and a one to three month sales cycle. The challenge is if that person walks in the door, and vice versa, this works both ways, if that person walks in the door and they're incredibly articulate, they're intelligent, they're driven, they're motivated, they're hungry, they have all the intangibles that you like in your organization, they played sports, they were the captain of the hockey team, field hockey team, whatever it is, they walk in the door, you think they're a wonderful fit. The problem is their personality characteristics. Don't align with your selling environment. So when they walk in the door, they seem like they're they're the right individual, but they're used to a transactional environment. So they're used to deals happening often. And so that person likely will fail or quit. You'll either fire them or they'll quit right around the six months, let's say in six months or so. And the reason why they quit is because their personality characteristics are around activity, activity metrics, driving traffic, things of that nature. They want to close, they want that, that, that immediate gratification. You put them into a long sales cycle, now they're totally lost. It's just not the right fit for them. And so when you talk about characteristics, the first thing that I need to understand is I need to understand the selling environment that, that we're recruiting for because if it's if it's a transactional environment and I'm introducing you to, you know, strategic individuals, those individuals won't be able to keep up with the activity metrics. They're just the opposite. They'll quit and they'll be unhappy because they just can't handle the activity that's needed for them to be successful. And so they fail as well. And so for us, we're trying to figure out and we've even developed a um, a sales characteristic uh, free assessment on our, on our website to help companies identify their own selling model. And then once you've identified that selling model, then we can identify the characteristics that align with your sales environment. And this is one of the ways that we help sustain our client uh, sell- selling environments. And this is one of the reasons why we have such low turnover when we're helping our clients hire.
0: So you talked about that four percent, you know, turnover rate. That's incredibly low, especially in sales. I was going to ask how you got there, but but go go more into depth with this. Like so, when I'm putting together, uh, you know, the description for the sales rep that i want to hire what are the things that i need to be thinking about as i'm putting that together
1: if you're putting it out to the, the community, then the, 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 the few things you're going to want to understand is this. You want to drive traffic to it. If you add too much detail to a job description, it is not going to benefit you. What, what you really want to do is understand the keywords that drive high traffic to these different job uh, descriptions, right? So that's going to be number one. You want to get people excited. It's got to be a, your elevator pitch. It's going to be not complicated because as it is, candidates are already confused. There's so much noise. Out there, they struggle to even find the right options for themselves. Um, so, if it's going to go to the public, that is one thing. That is the that is the exciting, sexy sell that gets people to apply internally. The job description for your team should really note what type of sales organization are we? Are we a transactional organization? Are we a strategic organization? What kind of metrics are we looking to fill? Can this individual do this? Have they done it in the past? And so internally and externally, internally, uh, it is much more detailed, but publicly, it should be your sales pitch to drive traffic, get a candidate to apply or
0: submit a resume to you, and then qualify them thereafter. You talked about some of those intangibles and the need to, you know, actually talk to the person. You can't just see that they're good on paper. I, I want to dive into this a little bit because I've seen a lot of employers, a lot of VPs of sales, a lot of CEOs get sold by a candidate as a, as a result of this, right? so they look good on paper, they come in for the interview, and they really don't have any questions to ask the person, so they're looking for a pitch, if you will, and the salesperson just sells them because if they're any good at their job, that's what they're able to do, but then once they land the job, they actually don't perform. Can you give any advice to how to prevent that from happening to you if you're trying to hire a... A sales candidate. What we found is
1: that for so many companies, um, you know, um, they they they've been trained on how to sell people out of the job, right? So they they they've been trained, uh, you know, to eliminate individuals uh, from from the process. And, and many times, um, many times they 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 do such a good job, they're actually getting rid of their their a plays, and they 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 fail to hire the real talent. Um and so that that can be that can become you know that can become challenging but what i recommend is uh instead of selling them out of it instead of being so tough on that interview uh, uh as a first stage first step i would sell them and get them excited about the opportunity and get them somewhat emotionally committed because there's plenty of other competition c- competitors and companies out there that they could go to so that's number 1 get them excited get them emotionally attached number 1 number 2 when you do meet them the ultimate thing is to get them, or at least what we do, it's our opinion, that you, know, you get them to, to drop the curtain. And the best way to get them to drop the curtain is to say, listen, you know, we're here today. I don't want to sell you. Don't sell me. I just want to find out about your background. And the reason why I want to find out about your background, and I, and I want to share as much as I can about our company and our job, but the reason why I want to find out about our background and the reason why you want to find out more about our company is because we're trying to find out if this is going to be a good match. So I'm going to tell you what's good and bad about this, I'm going to tell you what we're doing and why we're so innovative and why we're growing. But I don't want you to take this job if you think that there are concerns. I don't want to be sold. I'm not going to sell you. Let's be honest with each other. And if we're honest with each other and we genuinely try to make a match here, then we can sustain this. We can work together for many years.
0: We can help each other build this organization and we can grow together. So now I've read some of the stuff that you've written before. You talk about don't let happiness be the destination, Dan. Um, but, you know, we, we do have to get excited about a job to take a new one. Uh, you've got such a low turnover rate at only 4%. But how do you kind of uh, get candidates and get salespeople to avoid that burnout?
1: You don't avoid burnout, uh, at least in my opinion, it's going to happen. Or I mean, it ha- happens in life and every part of life, you burn out from driving your car, you burn out from going to the gym, you burn out from the same breakfast, you burn out from the sub shop down the street, you will burn out, right? So it's not, I guess, in, in my opinion, it's not about avoiding burnout. You should expect and set expectations that you will burn out. Uh, at least that's what we teach our team. What you want to really understand is how do you overcome burnout? How do you, when you do burn out? and listen, I burn out. Uh, I'm the CEO of the company. I burn out, right? People burn out. It's going to happen. So you, f- you shouldn't feel isolated when you burn out. You should feel like, what do I need to do to overcome burnout? Right? How do I overcome it? How do I get back on the horse? How do I uh, continue to find success? And that's when you find the consistent top producers. They have the grit. They, they're going to burn out just like everyone else. They just know how to overcome it when it happens.
0: So true because I own my own company. I love the stuff that I do, but I do get tired. I do get bored. I do get frustrated. I do get if you if you will burnt out. And it's being able to have that attitude that I'm going to continue going. I think you've talked about it before as a positive belief system. But it's just having that stuff in in myself to know that I'm going to keep going and I'm going to get to the other the uh, peak at some point. It's not always going to be the valley. So I really do like that. I, I've also seen you quote uh, Sun Tzu before. Uh, you like the quote when your army has crossed the board, order. You should burn your boats and bridges in order to make it clear to everybody that you have no hankering after home. Can you talk a little bit about that? What uh, stands out for you?
1: I love that quote. When you're talking about burning the boats and bridges, it's not necessarily a, a, a negative thing. It is saying that when you reach the foreign land, there is no retreat. You have to, now you fight for your life and you will fight twice as hard for your life without thinking you have the the option to retreat. And you've probably done this too, Jim, when, when, when I started my own business, uh, you know, I, I burnt the ships. I, 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 I had a wonderful relationship with the company that I left. I, I am still good friends with the, 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 the CEO and the owner, with all the managing partners. Um, they're no longer in business, but I, I, I've always had a great relationship and friendship with them. Um, so it's not about burning bridges, but when you are talking about burning the boats, well, there's no going back. Right. I, I rented the office space. I had no website when I started. I, I was by myself suit and tie every day. I had myself the lobby in, a, in, a, in an interview room and, and then my bullpen, of course, which was a bullpen of one. And, um, you know, the, the boats were burned. I, I was married. Uh, we were having uh, our first child. Um, so th- I had to do it. There was no retreat. There was no giving. But bu-
0: there was no giving up. Yeah, you, you had, there was no choice but to succeed. I want to talk about then that ability to empower yourself. I think it is. uh, And you've said it before as well, but it's one of the most critical things that a salesperson has to feel is that empowerment, but they have to do it themselves. They have to empower themselves. But you've also talked about the ability to write their own rules. Can you talk more about that and go more in depth? Empowering yourself can take time it's it,
1: there's a big belief system there, and you've got to believe in, in yourself and your ability and, and it's one of the biggest challenges. we spend a lot of time with our team here, um, teaching them them how to empower themselves, uh, you know teach them how to think on their own, how to think on their feet. not you know we don't want our team to be robots, they're consultants. they're adding value, and they can't do it with someone you know always whispering in their ear or just reading off a script over time, they have to make mistakes, which is okay by us. And we need to empower them. We need to empower them to make those mistakes, to try new things and to get better and stronger as individuals. So what I say is, uh, you know, it takes time to empower yourself, but it, but you have to do it. You've got to believe, and you've got to do what you think is right. Number one. Uh, and then number two, when I say write your own rules, it, it's kind of like, um, It's in. It's like being in college, and you're required. There's a whole bunch of required reading, Uh, and so you read it, but mm, you don't think it's that important or valuable to your life, and you didn't learn much from it. But to the professor, it's very important, and then they test you on the things that they think are so important. But to you, it's really not. Maybe it's not that valuable, and so you're following that professor's rules as to what book you should read and what they think is important. So when I say write your own rules, I'm not saying it's not a negative thing. It's it is something where you have to think for yourself. You have to think on your own. You have to um you have to use your gut and your intuition. You have gotta learn from your own experiences. And then you've gotta follow that intuition and when you know that something's wrong, fix it, change it, make it better.
0: There's a lot to what you just said that I think could be applied in any aspect of life. I listened to a podcast the other day with Dick Costello, the former CEO of of Twitter, and he talked about this concept of, you know, not following someone else's rules and and just really not going with all the expectations that everyone else has because once you graduate from college, the expectations on you are kind of gone. There aren't any more expectations. It's now up to you, but too often we fall into the trap of, well, what does this person think about me? Or what does this person think I should do? And that can be friends, family, coworkers, bosses, colleagues, it doesn't matter, right? But it's up to you at that point, you get to make your own rules. And I think there's so many societal norms that we kind of just do because that's what's expected of us next, that if we start to write our own rules, we could carve out a career path, whether as an employee or as an entrepreneur, that could just be absolutely amazing if we let it happen. Agreed. Agreed, 100. percent I think that goes with uh, you know you getting to Jackson Hole while homing and traveling the country in a van and all that kind of stuff. You still found your way. It wasn't that uh, you know that that was going to prohibit you from becoming successful in life. So I just think there's a lot of power to that. So I appreciate you sharing it. You did talk about Dan the idea of empowering your people to make mistakes. You know they're going to make mistakes, but I want to talk about some of those. So what's the most common thing that you've seen, Dan, that a sales rep will do to lose control of a sales process?
1: The sale process is now being dictated by you know the, the the prospect and the assumption in that instance would be that the prospect knows everything but in actuality they have a need so they don't know everything the, the reason why you're there is to consult with them it's to it's to help them figure this out and so if you don't take leadership and you don't empower yourself and you don't have the guts to just be honest and tell the prospect the the truth and give them advice, then they're getting no guidance. And so they'll continue to fail um, because no one's really being upfront and honest with them. And so if you don't take that leadership and you don't lead the process, and you've heard this saying, in the absence of leadership, decisions are made. If you're not leading that process, well, they're going to make a decision. And whether that de- decision is to go with your firm or another firm,
0: um, you have very little control over it what we what I talk about in my training all the time is the decision not to make a decision is a decision. <laughs> right. So totally there with you. You you brought up the concept of failure as part of that, Dan, and, and failure is part of this game. But uh is there a moment in, in your career that you can look back and say, man, there that's a failure that really uh, you know, really got me, really stuck with me.
1: Failure is is not finite, right? It's it is it is something that is going to always happen. So when when you look back and you say if it's something that failed, um, it's like saying it failed i gave up on it i quit and so it, it's over um with, with with i just look at failure differently i see failure as you fail and then you you figure it out you fix it and you continue to work on it until it's completed until you've achieved the goal until you you know you fixed it you you've got to complete all of those tasks and if you continue to complete tasks depending on how you look at your life um those failures you know they they they're looked at as mistakes but you've learned from them and you've gotten better at them um i, I think that um, you know my biggest failure as as a leader is uh, you know my uh Inability to move quickly on a uh, on a non producing representative. I'm I'm so vested and so committed to coaching and teaching and training um, that in some cases, um, if if a person just doesn't want it, there's not a lot I can do. And uh, it takes me my highest failure or mistake is uh, is with uh, letting you know individuals go that just you know aren't made for this type of position.
0: I think that's I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think in sales world it's even harder because you can just see glimpses of of talent. You've done the coaching, they're performing in the role plays, they're doing all that. And sometimes it is like you said, they just don't want it. And um, as a leader, it's hard because you want them to succeed. So again, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Dan, I'm gonna take a quick break to say thanks to our sponsors when we come back. It's gonna be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I wanna tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for Discovery Calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back, and it's time for the money round. Dan, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: Fail often, try new things, and finish whatever tasks you set out
0: to do. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing?
1: I would say build a strong belief system around who you are, realizing that you're capable, you're just as capable as a 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old individual. Believe that you can do it and um, empower yourself to, 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 to
0: uh, find success. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. I'm just so
1: competitive. I, I just can't help it. I, I, just, I, um, I love competition. I, I, you know, I love to hear, of, you know, other companies
0: trying to do what we do and it, it just drives me, um, and just pushes me. It totally motivates me. Dan, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? How to Win Friends and Influence People. SalesTuners, if you'd like to check out Dan's suggestion of How to Win Friends and Influence People for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Uh, Dan, what's the biggest belief that you have that nearly no one agrees with you on?
1: That I'm the smartest person in my house.
0: (laughs) I
1: love to say that so that all my, my kids and my wife can look at me and say, no, daddy, you are not. Mommy is.
0: <laughs> What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today?
1: I think the biggest piece of advice is um, unrelenting focus. Focus on, do not get distracted. Focus on the tasks at hand and make sure they're completed. Don't leave until the job is done. Um Burnout's going to happen, so learn how to overcome it, uh, and then believe. You've got to believe, you and you've got to say it to yourself.
0: You've got to say to yourself, every day I wake up and I say, today is going to be the best day of my life. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Dan. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today?
1: Yeah, if they want, they could email me, uh, fantasia at treeline-inc.com. They can call me. They can call me directly at 781-876-8102. And they're always welcome uh, You know to visit our website for more information and free guides on hiring and, and um, sales hiring and things of that nature at uh,
0: www.treeline-inc.com. Dan, thank you so much for being on Sales Sooners. I had a blast.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate
0: your time and I love your questions. After the interview was over, Dan continued to talk to me about how he loved the challenge of the unknown in sales, and it really accentuated several of the points he made today. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, write your own rules. If you're going to be a consultative professional salesperson, you must empower yourself. You must be able to think on your feet without sounding like a robot. You're not always going to be able to have someone whispering in your ear or reading off a script. So when you see something wrong, fix it. One of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome is thinking about what everyone else expected of me and trying to prove something to them instead of charting my own path. Number two, overcome rather than avoid burnout. As Dan mentioned, burnout happens, whether you're the CEO or the SDR, so accept it and learn how to overcome it. You could get burnout on your car, the breakfast you eat every day, or even your favorite sub shop. So figure out the things that trigger the high highs as well as the low lows and work to maintain balance between the two. Number three, failure is not finite. It's only truly a failure when you decide to give up. I recently came off the biggest professional failure of my career, and I can assure you there were times where I felt I should just take my ball and go home, as if this game wasn't for me. Fortunately, I was able to pick myself back up, start another business, which includes this podcast, and face the world that I thought would forever reject me because of my most recent performance. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Did anyone ever eat those things? It seems like every convenience store sells them, but I've never seen any missing from the ice cream freezer.